remain standing as we look to God's Word, begin our time and our study of God's Word this afternoon. We are in Matthew chapter 7, and if you'd like to read along with us, you're welcome to read, uh, follow along on the screen, or you can grab a, bi- a Bible from the pew back in front of you, and we'll be on page 812 in that Bible. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to go all the way to verse 12. This is the word of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye. When there's a log in your own eye, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we ask you this morning for understanding. So many of us in here have have heard this text before as, as little snippets is misunderstandings of what it is that you are trying to teach us. And so our hearts are already a little bit hardened off to the truth that is in the Word. Would you break through that this morning? Would you give us understanding for how the Word is meant to be understood in the context that Jesus Christ has shared this with us? And in that understanding, Father, would you melt our hard hearts and, and give us a, a sense of, of joy in the mercy that you've shown us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as, as we are continuing our study in Matthew, some of us, uh, many of you have been with us throughout this time. Some of you is, are visiting for the first time. Some of you were here on Easter and we were just a few sections before, so you haven't missed a whole lot. But, but I do want to just remind you of how we go through God's Word here as a church. We just walk through it. Um, there, there aren't Mother's Day passages in God's Word. Uh, there's just the Gospel over and over and over and over again. And so all we do is just walk through this. And I hope that is an encouragement to you as mothers and an encouragement to you as kids who have gathered here with your moms to hear God's Word this morning. 
So the question that we have as we approach this text is what in the world do judging and pearls before swine and prayer and the golden rule have to do with one another at all? I think many of us, those of you who knew that we were getting into this text this week, you were reading ahead and you're trying to determine all week long what exactly is going on here. And you were probably, even if we just read it now, you're probably a little bit confused, as I was. Even months ago, when when we set out when we would study particular sections, I had kept verses 7 through 12 separated from verses 1 through 6. And actually, the front of your bulletin just says Matthew 7, 1 through 6, because I didn't see how these things were related at all. But as I studied it more closely this week, I realized that we can't separate verses 7 through 12 from verses 1 through 6. These things really are related. They're closely related. If we step back and see where we were in chapter 6, and we saw chapter 6 as as being about how we relate to God as Father, then here in chapter 7, we'll see how we relate to others with the understanding that our Heavenly Father is also our judge. And He is, after all, our judge, isn't He? And it is this judge, our Father, who sent His Son to die for our sins so that we could be welcomed into His family. Not as defendants in his court, but as children at his table. But Christ has taken on himself the judgment that was meant for us. Jesus Christ has taken our judgment and given us his righteousness so that this sovereign judge could be our father. That's sort of the the underlying truth that we read this section through. And that truth should humble us, shouldn't it? We have received mercy. We've received sonship or adoption from the judge of all creation. And our response then is to be humility and mercy towards others. That's what this section's about. It's the main point here. We have received mercy and sonship from our father, the judge. Our response is to show humility and mercy towards others. We're going to see that flow throughout this section. Let me show you how this works. All of this is connected because of one word that we see at the beginning of verse 12. Look at the beginning of verse 12. That little word, so, or therefore. Some of your translations that you have with you even say therefore. That word at the beginning of verse 12 Therefore, or so, tells us that everything that comes before that verse is a part of one argument. It's all a part of one big idea. So all we're going to do this morning is just sort of uncover what that big argument is that Jesus is making for us. And we'll see it in three sections. The first is in verses 1 through 5. Jesus is going to show us how we are to judge our brothers and sisters in Christ in light of the mercy That we've received. And then in verse 6, we're going to see how we treat those who turn out not to be brothers and sisters in Christ. What do we do there? And then in verses 7 through 12, we get this instruction from Jesus on how to determine 
what type of judgment to show. Are we to, to show the type of judgment that is reserved for brothers and sisters in Christ? Or the type of judgment that is for what Jesus calls pigs and dogs, outsiders? How, how do we know what we're supposed to do? You could break it up like this. The first section is judging insiders. The second section is judging outsiders. And the third section is prayer and the golden rule. Okay? So in verse 1, let's just get into it. In verse 1, we see that famous passage that everybody knows. Judge not that you be not judged. And despite what people want this to say, this does not mean never judge anyone. It doesn't mean that. It can't mean that. The context of this passage just simply doesn't allow for that type of interpretation. If we look at it, the two illustrations that Jesus uses immediately following this verse tell us that we are supposed to make some judgments, right? The first one is, is this speck in the log issue. He doesn't say never point out the speck in your brother's eye. He says first take the log out of your eye and then deal with that speck and then right after that in verse 6 you have this thing about pigs and dogs well how do you determine who are pigs and dogs without making some sort of judgment he's not saying don't judge later on in the new testament we are told commanded to make judgments about people in the church we're told to judge false teachers We're told to judge ourselves. We're going to make judgments. Right? This is who we are as rational creatures. We're constantly discriminating from one thing to the other. We are are a judging people. So Jesus can't mean we're never to make judgments. What he means is that we are not to think of ourselves as God in those judgments. That's not our place. We don't have the power to condemn people. Nor should we be craving that type of power. Rather, we are to judge with humility. To judge with humility. Later on in Matthew's gospel, we're, we're going to get, in, in, when we get to chapter 18, we're going to get a picture, a parable, of what exactly this judging with humility looks like. In Matthew 18... Jesus is teaching his disciples about forgiveness. And Peter asks Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone? And Jesus, in true form, he answers Peter with this parable. He says, a king called in the depths of the people who owed money to him. One of the men owed the king 10,000 talents. That calculate to $400 million after inflation. Okay, so that's a lot of money. Enormous amount of money that this person owes the king this man was never ever going to be able to pay this money off he's never going to get rid of this debt the king calls the man before him he says pay up or i will enslave your wife and children and the work that they do will help to pay off your debts man says i can't do it i can't there's just no way i can do this and he begs the king for mercy and the king shows him extravagant mercy and he just erases the debt right there in the throne room he erases the debt 400 billion dollars just gone 
So what should this man's attitude be towards others now? He's had this enormous debt removed from his life. He's been shown a mercy he can never repay. What should his posture be towards those who owe him? Jesus would say here in our passage in Matthew 7, his posture should be mercy, right? Well, if you, if you read the parable in Matthew 18, you find that in response to the king's extravagant mercy, the man went and called in his debts. Rather than being transformed by mercy, the mercy that had been shown him emboldened him to be a jerk. So it turns out, there's a guy who owes this man $15,000, and this, this guy can't pay it. So the, the, the guy, the jerk, the, the guy who had just been rem- shown mercy, has this guy, who owes him just a little bit, thrown into debtor's prison. The forgiving king finds out that the man he showed extravagant mercy to refused a reasonable mercy to someone else. So what does the king do? Well, like Jesus says in verse 2 of our passage, with the measure this man used against his debtor, the king used that same judgment against him. He threw him into prison. So, did you see the connection between the passages? Running through that parable, and even running through our, our passage this morning, is this underlying idea. As a forgiven people... As children of the Father who have been shown mercy, we are to show mercy. If, rather than living as children of the Father, if instead we prefer to not be a merciful people, Jesus is saying, well, if that's you, then you will be treated as if you aren't a child of the Father. You will receive judgment instead. The way that you deny mercy to others, that mercy will be denied to you. Children of the Father are known by the mercy they show others. Pretenders, people who look like Jesus' followers but don't show mercy to others, they are not children of the Father. They haven't truly and deeply experienced the mercy and the grace that our Father, the Judge, has shown us in Jesus Christ. And so it's revealed in the way that they treat others. You're seeing what's happening here, how this fits together? And that lays the groundwork for what we get to in verses 3 through 5. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This is the really big highlighted teaching that the rest of this passage kind of works around. And there's a few things that we need to see here. What is the relationship to the person with the speck in the eye? Is this a total stranger? It's not. Look look at verse 3. This is our brother. That means he is a child of our father. That's what brother means. Now, how are we to treat our brother if there is some sin in his life? Should we ignore it? Did, did our father ignore our sin? No, he, he dealt with our sin. He gave us his son to deal with our sin. 
And his son gave us his life and then clothed us in his righteousness. So should we ignore our brother's sin? Here he is, our brother. He's like us. He's clothed in Christ's righteousness. And yet there is some issue in his life that is denying the truth of his freedom in Christ. There's a speck. We shouldn't ignore his sin. We can't ignore his sin. Even though it is a speck compared to the log in our life, it is inconsistent with who he is in Christ. So what do we do? We work to remove the speck. Verse 5 says, take the log out of our own eye and then take the speck out of our brother's eye. How we do that is the main idea here in verses 1 and 2. There's a process to speck removal. A process to helping our brother when he's struggling with sin. Let me show you what Paul says in Galatians 6. Paul says, If anyone is caught in any transgression or sin, you who are spiritual, that means your your brother to him or a sister in Christ to him, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. By the law of Christ, Paul means Jesus' command to love one another. Helping our spiritual siblings fight sin in their life is one of the most loving things we can do for them. We are to help our brother who is struggling with sin. We don't ignore the speck. But the way we do that, the way we help him is humbly or as Paul says in Galatians gently the way that Jesus is teaching us to do this is is first examine ourselves and see if there's sin in our life that needs to be dealt with and then remove it (laughs) remove the log from your eye don't just acknowledge it remove it that means we need to look in the mirror doesn't it Before we put our brother under the magnifying glass in order to help him, we've got to look in the mirror. It means we look to God's word. Constantly examine ourselves through God's word, striving to be someone who actually can help our brother. It's our goal. It's our calling. It might even be that you need another brother to help you. You might need another Christian to help you remove this log from your eye. In fact, you probably will need that type of help. And once, once you've got it, once you've repented of your sin, once we've repented of our own sin and made steps to remove it from our life, then we can see clearly take the speck out of our brother's eye. Now the Christian life is humbling. Isn't it? We can't do any of this proudly. Every bit of this is totally unnatural. Walking alongside with someone who is struggling in sin and not being critical of them, that's unnatural. That does not come naturally to us. Repenting of our own sins so that we can help them, that's unnatural. We just don't wake up and do that. Receiving and being transformed by the mercy and forgiveness that God gives us in Christ, that's unnatural. All of this 
is the Spirit's work in us. All of it. But because of our pride, because of our flesh, we are a lot more like that wicked debtor in Matthew 18. We accept the grace and forgiveness, but we accept it as cheap grace. And then turn around and act like we actually paid for it ourselves. And that everyone else should have to as well. And then we become boastful about those areas where where we feel like we're extra righteous. And then we look down at our neighbor who's struggling in some sin. That's far more human, far more natural than humbly receiving mercy. Let's make this real for a moment. Think about the last... Let's just do a thought experiment, all right? So if you've zoned out, come back in. Let's think about the last negative thing that you said about somebody else. For many of you, you do not have to think back very far. What what was it? Don't say it out loud. What what was it? Did, Did it have something to do with their intelligence or their appearance or their time management or their bad habits? Was it some sin that you saw in their life that made you feel superior to them? What was the last negative thing you said about somebody, or better yet, the last negative thing you thought about someone else? Did they say something in Sunday school you didn't like this morning? Did did what they wore to church today make you think less of them? Now I want you to just pause and think for a minute. All right, so you've got your, your ugliness right out in front of you. I want to pause and think. Let's walk up to the mirror. Let's do some log inspection. Stand in the mirror, and if you can imagine it, if you're a Christian, remove the robe of righteousness that Christ has covered you with. And now, look at yourself in the mirror, naked, and remind yourself of all of the warts, and the moles, and the scars, and the imperfections in your life that Christ's righteous robes cover for you. Do you have any room for boasting? Christ has covered your adultery. He has covered your lustful thoughts. He has covered your anger and your rage. He has covered your laziness. He has covered your racism. He's covered the hatred that you've shown to your parents, your lies, your cheating. He's covered the selfish ways that you have treated your spouse and your kids. He's covered your anxiety your doubts. You see all of that in the mirror? All of that sin, that's who you were. And Christ has forgiven you of that. All of it. Now put his righteousness back on and be reminded of what Christ has already done for you, okay? So keep, keep working with me through this. Don't walk away yet. Now, even with the robes of Christ's righteousness adorning you, Do you see that sin that you still struggle with? Not just the stuff in your past that's been forgiven, that you've moved on from, but the sin that even now you're striving to fight against, to get rid of. That enormous protrusion coming out of your face. Your Father loves you despite even that sin. Jesus Christ died for you because of that sin. He's called you 
into and given you his bride, the church, to help address that sin. And the Holy Spirit, God with you, wants to help you be freed from it. Okay? Now with all of that mercy that's been shown to you, past mercy and present mercy and future mercy, with all of that that's been shown to you, now you can think about that person that you were judgmental towards just 20 minutes ago. Think about the assumptions you made about them. In light of the forgiveness that Christ has shown you, in light of his covering of all of your sin, how can we possibly be arrogant towards them? How can we possibly? We can't, can we? It's just incompatible. We have received mercy and sonship from our Father, the judge of all creation. Our response is to show humility and mercy towards others with an aim to see them walk in wholeness in Christ. That means we are constantly, every day, repenting of our own sin and loving and encouraging our brothers and sisters to do the same. You see the the model, the picture that Christ is showing us here? Now this next section, verse 6. What? What does this have to do with that? Anything, right? It seems to take on a whole different tone. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Well, on the one hand, in verses 3 through 5, we have brothers and sisters and how we're to help them in their sin. Clear prescription. How do you help a brother who's caught in sin? Remove the log from your eye and then help him. And then on the other hand, here in verse 6, we have pigs and dogs. Who are they? Well, Jesus is talking about outsiders. This language is always used to describe outsiders. Pigs and dogs would have been considered unclean scavengers. They they didn't have labradoodles and pugs in Galilee. These dogs he's talking about are the flea bag, mongrel dogs, pack dogs that roamed the, the trash heaps looking for rotting carcasses to eat. They're dirty. These dogs would have been unwelcome in your home. Jesus is using these animals the way that his contemporaries always talked about them. These animals were always symbolic of those outside of the people of God. Those who are not our brothers and sisters in Christ. Those who despise the fellowship of the family of God. Jesus says, we aren't to give to these dogs what is holy. We're not to give these filthy pigs our pearls. This is vague enough to mean anything. And this can be horrendously applied. Historically, Christians have used this proverb in all sorts of contexts. Some have said that this is the reasoning for not giving non-Christians the bread at communion, right? The bread is holy, don't give it to non-Christians. It's a stretch, but I could see their point. Some have done this in horrific error. Never do this, okay? Listen carefully. Don't do this, because this is error. Some have said, we are not to share the gospel with non-Christians. That's wrong, That is a misapplication of this proverb. 
Some people wisely say this is why we don't argue politics on Facebook or Twitter. I think that's probably the best application. (laughs) But this is a vague proverb, isn't it? I think on the one hand, the ambiguity that Jesus is leaving for us is, is kind of intentional. This is a proverb that can be applied in a lot of different cases. Jesus will apply this wisdom to his disciples when they are sent out to tell of the good news of his arrival. Right? So when, the Jesus, when Jesus sends his disciples out into the towns two by two, he says, when you go to a house and they receive you warmly, when they welcome you, well, let your peace be with them. But if they reject you, if they reject your message, what does he say to do? Dust your feet off. Walk out of that town. Leave. Don't, try, keep, don't keep trying to convert people who have deemed themselves unworthy to receive the gospel. This is a generally true, a generally good proverb. It's kind of broad and generic, but I think Jesus is applying it specifically here in this context. And I think he's applying it specifically in terms of judging and restoring those who are in sin. Let me show you what I mean by that. So in this speck removal process that that he began for us in in verses 3 through 5, there are going to be some people who are not repentant. You're going to go to someone with a speck in their eye. Maybe it's a twig. Maybe it's a tree. But the point is that there are some people who you will go to to encourage in Christ, to call back to Christ, to call to repentance. And they will not receive your help because they cannot receive your help. They refuse to repent of sin. They don't see what they're doing as sinful. Or or maybe they just take joy in their sin. Or maybe they're just too enslaved to their own pride to want to deal with it. If that's the case, then it's likely that these are not brothers. Brothers and sisters in Christ, those who have received mercy and have been brought into the family by the work of Christ, they're always a repentant people. Always. Maybe it's slow. Maybe it's very slow. But they're always a repentant people. If not immediately, eventually. All right? The Holy Spirit and the children of God is always prompting us towards repentance. With a Holy Spirit given appetite, we hunger and thirst for righteousness. We want to grow into Christ's righteousness. And that means we are a repentant people. We have to be. Those who will not receive correction, those who are unrepentant and unteachable, these are the people that I believe Jesus is referring to as pigs and dogs, outsiders. And if they want to be outsiders, he says, let them be outsiders. Treat them as outsiders. This is consistent with how the rest of the New Testament talks about seeking restoration with those who are in sin. In Matthew 18, what do we do with a brother who will not repent of sin when we humbly approach him? We go to him again, this time with two or three witnesses. And then, if he still will not repent, then we go before the entire church and we plead with him to be reconciled to Christ. 
That is our desire for our brothers and sisters in Christ. But then if he still will not repent, Jesus says, treat him as a Gentile and a tax collector, that is, an outsider. If he wants to act like that, rather than a repentant child of the Father, treat him that way. In Titus 3, we see this over and over again in the New Testament. In Titus 3, Paul tells us what to do if there is someone who is causing division, sinful division in the church. Paul says there in verse 10, As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is, is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. We don't condemn them. They've condemned themselves. They're self-condemned. They, they themselves are rejecting repentance. They're rejecting reconciliation in Christ. Paul says then, have nothing more to do with them. In other words, stop offering pearls of wisdom to them. Stop offering the holiness of repentance. These people are those who pretended to be Christians. But in fact, it turns out, they're not really in Christ. They were never really born again by the Spirit. Peter uses Jesus' language in 2 Peter 2.22 to describe this exact thing. He says that a dog returns to its vomit. A sow, after having been cleaned, returns to the mud. Same. Do you see the same metaphors there? Dog and pig? They're known by their refusal of repentance. Their refusal to be reconciled to Christ. Peter is taking what Jesus is teaching and he's saying, this isn't about outsiders we've never met. This isn't about our neighbor who we need to go share the gospel with. This is about outsiders who have pretended to be members of Christ. Pretended to be a part of Christ's body, but they have proven themselves to be dogs and pigs by refusing repentance. So let them go their way. Are you seeing why Jesus uses this proverb? Now, to help us understand how to use good judgment. The bottom line is that we have been shown mercy by our Father, the judge, and so we should always, always be motivated by mercy and humility. Especially towards brothers and sisters in Christ. There's no room for or self-righteousness or judgmentalism in the church of Christ. But there are times when people refuse to receive the mercy that we want to share with them. In that case, they are choosing their own destiny. They're choosing to be outsiders. They're proving themselves not to be brothers and sisters. If you have ever gone through this, I am sorry. It is heartbreaking, isn't it? Someone who has been walking along with you like a brother or a sister in Christ. Who knows how long? For years, maybe. And then the costume begins to fall off. They begin to reveal to you through their life and through their actions that something is seriously wrong. There's an enormous disconnect. And so you, because of your love for them, because of the mercy that you've been shown to them, you lovingly confront them and humbly confront them. But rather than repenting, they'd rather go wallow in the mud. 
So what do you do? How do we, how do we determine whether or not they're just having a day in the mud or if that's where they belong? How long do you seek to see them restored? How do you know whether this is a sister in Christ who is just so deeply wounded and simply needs more time and more encouragement? Or if this is someone who will never repent because they've refused Christ altogether? This requires tremendous discernment, doesn't it? And none of us has this discernment on our own, okay? If you think, oh, I always know. Well, you don't. Because I don't. Nobody here does. This is the type of discernment, because we can't see the inside of somebody's soul, this is the type of discernment that only God can give us. And that's where verses 7 through 11 come in. Remember, throughout all of this, we are children of the Father. The good Father who gives and gives and gives, and He wants to give us wisdom and help. So look at what Jesus says in verse 7. Ask. Just ask. The reason this section is here in in chapter 7, helping us to deal with judgment rather than back with the Lord's Prayer, or rather than last week with that section on anxiety, because even in the midst of dealing with an issue like a brother caught in sin, we are still children of the Father. We are His family, and our Father wants to help. He's waiting for us just to ask. And if we ask, what Jesus is saying here is, God's not going to trick you. Like you ask Him for wisdom, and He gives you fake wisdom. He's not going to just give you something to cause you to fail. Look at what He says in verse 11. If you then who are evil, love how He says that, we're evil. Even in Christ, there is evil in us. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? So it's not Father's Day, so we can bash dads this morning. If, if even the worst dad, I mean, if, think about the lousiest, meanest, laziest dad for a moment. Even that dad won't give his kid a snake when the kid asks for fish to eat. Right? We, we might, that dad might not give anything at all, but at least he won't give him a, a rattlesnake. If even the most wicked father can be trusted not to do something like that, how much more can we trust our father? Our father in heaven, who isn't just not evil, but is positively always good. We can trust him. And we can, especially as Christ's church, as his family, as his children, we can trust him to take care of us in difficult situations like making judgments that we alone don't have the wisdom to make. Ask him and he'll provide. And that gets us to verse 12. One of the ways he provides is in his word. So look at what the word says. Look at what Jesus says. So, or therefore, and remember that means... Because of everything we've just studied in verses 1 through 11, therefore, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. This this clues us in. This is a bookend. Verse 12 has everything to do with verses 1 through 11. Therefore, 
Do to others what you wish they'd do to you. This actually fits really nicely, doesn't it? Think about what we've been talking about. We're asking for wisdom from the Father. We know that He's going to give it to us. He, the good judge, will help you make a righteous judgment about what to do in this situation with this, this person. In fact, He has given us His Word, the Law and the Prophets, the Old Testament, as a pretty good place to start with making these judgments. Do to others what you wish they do to you. So, so when we are struggling... Through a case like determining whether or not someone is a brother or is someone we should have nothing more to do with, put yourself in the the place, in the position of the person that you're making the judgment against. See how this fits? How would you want others to work with you in that situation? You're unrepentant for whatever reason it is. You're caught in some sin. How would you want someone to deal with you there? Do you need more time? Do you just need another phone call? Do you need a letter? Do you need a conversation? Is there just some gross misunderstanding? Is there something that you wish you could tell them but you can't? Or do you just want to be left alone? Do to others what you'd have them do to you. I think at the very least, we can say... That when we're faced with a situation like this, deciding between the brother and the dog, making that determination, I think at the very least we can say we will not make uninformed assumptions about what's going on. We won't just listen to one side of the story. Can we agree to that? I think we can make the we can agree that we're not going to assume that we know everything about what's happening in their marriage that has caused things to get to where they are. We're not going to assume that we know everything about what has led to this, this season of, of withdrawal. We're not going to assume that we know everything about why this person is acting this way. We don't have all that information. We need to give them grace and mercy and we need to treat them humbly because that's how we would want to be treated. At the very least, we will err on the side of patience with this person. If we put this instruction into practice before we judge someone to be a pig, we're going to double check and make sure that we aren't missing something in our own life. Right? Remember? Log, spec, log first. Go through this whole process again on your own with another brother maybe. Remember that we have been forgiven in Christ, so look in the mirror. See the covering of Christ in our own life and then check for sin in our own life. Something that's glaring. Something that may be offending the brother that you're trying to help. And then repent. And then take steps to remove that sin. And then repent again. And trust in Christ's work again and again and again. Thank God for His mercy and forgiveness in Christ again every morning. This is not something that we take lightly, is it? Humble yourself before the Lord and then humble yourself before the person that you're helping and walk alongside them to see them restored. If they insist on walking away, 
Let him go. That's all we can do. I think stepping back, you see how this is a lot more helpful than just don't judge. (laughs) The Christian life is all about humility and absolute dependence on the Father. Just think back to the beginning of this sermon. Not my sermon, Jesus' sermon. Think back to the beginning, chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the merciful. None of those qualities of kingdom citizens is compatible with pride or arrogance or self-righteousness. None of them. All of those qualities are born into a person who has received undeserved, unmerited adoption as sons and daughters of the Father. So we can't be proud. And we want to see Christ glorified in our brothers and sisters. So friends, I want to encourage you this morning. If what, if what Jesus has been describing here does not describe how you interact with others, like you've heard Jesus' instruction, you go, that's not me. I'm a lot like more of that, more like that unmerciful person who received mercy in Matthew 18. Well, today is a good day to start. Right? So receive the Father's mercy. Receive the Son's righteousness, His goodness, His holiness. Be sensitive to the Spirit's conviction. The Father's showing you mercy. The Son is giving you His righteousness. And the Spirit wants to grow you in Christ. So let's begin now to show a Christ-like humility that that is more understanding of others. And let's begin to show a humility that above all else wants to see God glorified in the church and not ourselves lifted up as some righteous individuals. And that means we will walk with one another through our battles together. Amen? All right, let's pray.